Reflections, a weekly podcast for discussing and promoting the small talk programming language. On this episode, we talked about small talk coding style. My name is David Buck, and with me today is Craig Lava. Hi, Craig. Hi, David. How are you? Not too bad. Before we get started with the podcast, uh, we have a few announcements and things coming up in the small talk world. Yeah, uh, ESAC 2015 is coming up 13 through 17 July in Brescia, Italy. All your favorite concurrent events are happening again this year. The International Workshop on Small Tech Technologies, uh, together with the ACM, the Innovation Technology Awards, and there's going to be a Camp Small Talk as well. Yeah, there are lots of Camp Small Talks coming up this year. Oh yeah, you know about a couple of others. Uh, actually, there's a Camp Small Talk in Ottawa coming up from uh, June 12th to June 14th. Um, I'm organizing that with some uh, other people from the Ottawa region. We're going to be doing a bunch of things. Uh, one thing I'd like to do is record some intro videos on how to download and some you know, sort of basic small talk that we can just put up on the internet. Um, I'm also going to bring along an Oculus DK2 and see if we can interface small talk to the DK2. Uh, so far, I've been able to call the libraries but not get any graphics put up yet. So it should be interesting. And the DK2 is the developer kit 2 for the upcoming Rift. Uh, yeah, the Rift itself is going to be released uh, officially first quarter 2016. Uh, the DK2 is a developer's kit so that developers can uh, d- develop software for it and have things ready by the time the Rift is released. So uh, my goal is to try and interface it to Smalltalk and see what I can do with it. We're also going to have a um, pizza night uh, sponsored by Instantiations and we'll be going to a comedy show. So that should be pretty interesting. The other camp, Small Talk, is in Portland, Oregon. It's from the 21st to the 23rd of August, uh, 2015. And that's being uh, organized by the uh, local people in Portland. They're going to be investigating Small Talk on small devices, such as Scratch and Raspberry Pi, doing some work on web frameworks like Seaside, virtual machine stuff, uh, some data processing applications, and uh, I guess talking about language design, Small Talk, and beyond. And in the Faro world, uh, Faro 4 has been released. They closed over 1,700 issues for this release. There's a lot of interesting new stuff to check out. Also for Faro, there's going to be a Faro Sprint at the eCoop 2015 conference on 5 July in Prague. And speaking of Raspberry Pi, another uh, inexpensive computer that has Scratch pre-installed has entered the world, the Chip $9 computer. It's been announced on Kickstarter. Sounds interesting. We'll include links to everything we've talked about in the show notes. So on this episode, we're going to talk about small talk coding style. Um, just a little story first. Uh, years ago, I was working on a project that uh, another developer had worked on, and his coding style was much different than what I was used to. Um, he had what he called a verticalized style. And uh, with this verticalized style... His rule was that every message has to go on its own separate line and every square bracket has to go onto its own separate line, uh, indented, of course. Oh, dear. Uh, Keyword messages. Every keyword has to go onto its own separate line in the message sent. Huh. Uh, And then every uh, unary message also goes on its own line. So the whole thing was all verticalized. I suspect this drove you insane. Yes, very much so. But the interesting part was that uh, the the client that I was working for, uh, they had hired this person on, and he had gone through with uh, his tool and automatically verticalized 
any code that he touched in the system. Oh, of course he did. Of course. Uh, oh, one more thing. Uh, temporary variables, uh, line number one, vertical bar, line number two, verse, first variable, <laughs> line number three, second variable. Then finally, separate line, vertical bar. I'm surprised he didn't want to put each character of each variable name on a separate line. I don't think that's syntactically correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess he has limits. So anyways, uh, but the, uh, the client that I was working for, uh, their complaint was, um, we can't read any of this code anymore. Can you do something for us? Yeah. Well, fortunately, this person was diligent and put his uh, initials into every method as a comment at the top of the method. Mm. So I would uh, I wrote a program that went through the whole library uh, and uh, ran any method that has his, his initials on it through the <laughs> refactoring browser to automatically format it into a more standard style and resave it. Yeah. And that was my biggest ever NV commit. <laughs> to, to a database. Wow. Was this person an Emacs user in a previous life? I really don't know his uh, his background, but uh, uh, he really loved that style. Uh, he was very enthusiastic about it, but mm-hmm. myself, I just couldn't read it. Yeah. His well, theory was his theory was that you could scan vertically faster than you could scan horizontally. Huh. I guess enthusiasm is good, and we certainly see a lot of verticalization of web pages now with the websites that are just one long thing you have to scroll through <laughs> at least it's not one line per word yeah could always be worse i guess yes so uh, when people look at small talk code probably the first thing they notice is that most of the methods are really really small and that's what we consider a good thing in general mm-hmm uh, small methods tend to be very readable, very um, understandable, um, although somewhat frustrating because usually a small method would say, well, you just do this other thing. And it doesn't, well, how should I say this? It, it, it means that you have to do a lot more digging to find out what is really going on. Right. It can uh, place a premium on good window management in your IDE. Yeah, small talkers are notorious for having uh, dozens of windows up all at once. Yeah, there's some uh, experiments in several small talks to try to minimize the number of windows you actually need to have open. And then if you do open more windows to arrange them automatically in different ways. Uh, that would be interesting. That would be helpful. Uh, I know someone who used to have uh, like 50 or 60 windows open all at once. And I'd say, how can you manage those windows? Oh, I just manage them. I just find the ones I want. Okay, well... Yeah, so in Faro, for example, there are Nautilus and GT Inspector. So with, uh, so with small methods, um, you'll find most of the Smalltalk code, maybe let's say 70 or 80% of Smalltalk methods are one line, which is amazing. Uh, I mean, one line after the selector line to describe the name of the method. Right. But a large percentage of small talk methods are actually one line. And then a fairly large number of uh, methods are two or three lines. Uh, and then you get some that are huge, but shouldn't be. Right. A huge method is almost always a sign of something bad happening. Either that or it's an automatically generated method that you don't ever edit and you don't care about anyway. Oh, right. That happens too. Yeah, I mean, sometimes there are methods that, for instance, describe uh, an image. Yeah, I don't need to know all the bits of the image, and I'm not going to edit that myself. Mm-hmm. But in general, if it's code that you write, 
you want the, the methods to be small. The nice thing about small methods is that they're recognizable at a glance and understandable at a glance, which is what I like about small talk. I can look at one method and say, oh, I understand how that works. That has to work. There's no way that can't work. Yeah, exactly. And this gets at one of the core principles of agile development. Yeah, uh, understandable code. One thing we tend to do in small talk is uh, write intention-revealing selectors. So the names of the methods describe what the method does, not how the method works. So uh, I don't care how or I don't care what algorithm you use to implement the method. What I care is what the net effect is, what the method does for you. And that's what should be documented in the method selector. Yeah. Another interesting thing in small talk is that you'll find very few method comments, uh, which is uh, a little bit controversial. Uh, some people love writing comments. Um, my rule with comments, I follow what Kent Beck says, which is if you need a comment, by all means, put a comment in and then refactor your code so that you don't need the comment anymore and then take it out. Yeah, that's a good insight. The one that really bugs me is people who habitually put in comments because they have to put in comments and the comments say the same thing that the method says but with many more words so for right. instance you have a, a method that says uh, return the instance variable uh, helper and then the method says return helper really do you really need that comment yeah although i will say i have been on some projects where the complete absence of comments created an ambiguity where we couldn't tell if there were absolutely no comments because nobody even considered the issue of whether or not to make a comment or because it really needed no comment. And so I have been on projects where just some sort of sign that a human considered that question was useful, even if the comment wasn't all that brilliant. Yeah, and sometimes comments are, are helpful to know the history of something of why it is this way. So especially if you're going to be modifying code that comes from the vendor and you're changing something, explain why it is that you're changing it. Um, I was working with some uh, some old code uh, a few days ago and came across this comment that said something to the effect of, uh, uh, the following code works around a bug in version XX of this product where uh, in some obscure case, this happens, you know, Okay, that helps, because now I know what you're talking about. Otherwise, I wouldn't know why you would be putting in this stupid line that, uh, that may, may not make much sense otherwise. Right, and I think this also uh, provokes thought about how methods perhaps should not just be one big blob of text, but a structured thing that you can reason about and indeed version uh, independently. So I think there are... Uh, design ideas here or provocative design questions here for people designing version control systems uh, like I am with NIAID. Uh, in fact, one of the big contentions uh, in the small talk world is uh, indenting style. And uh, many people have their own preferences for how to indent and how many tabs to put in and whether to use tabs here or spaces here. Um, I will jump up and down on people to say, hey, don't put spaces at the beginning of lines, put tabs. And uh, uh, there are certain styles that I, I like seeing in the code. And so I like seeing Smalltalk code that way. Right. This is a classic debate in many programming languages. 
Uh, one thing that I like doing is to say, if it fits on one line, then put it on one line. So um, I don't like seeing multiple lines just for the sake of having multiple lines. It just makes things a whole lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, white space, uh, having blank lines at appropriate spots helps out when, uh, when you're trying to visually break a method down if the method is large. Uh, ideally, your methods shouldn't be so large that you need white space. Right. So again, you're getting into an idea of if you really need something, go ahead and do it, but realize that you could probably refactor things so that you don't have that need anymore. Exactly. Um, For names of variables and names of classes, let me start with class names. Uh, I generally don't like having class names that are plurals. So I don't like a a class name called people. I would like a class name called person. Because when you look at an instance of it in an inspector or something, you'll see a people, and that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. It's annoying when I see classes that are plurals. The other thing is, for parameter names of methods, um, I like using uh, names that imply what the type of the parameter is. So I can say um, maybe a, a parameter name would be a string or an integer. Uh, If I'm using that notation, what I really mean is it's an instance of that class or one of its subclasses. Right, I do that too. Uh, So then it bothers me again if somebody says um, a something where something is not a class. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if if semantically that really is warranted, then I encourage people to just leave leave off the article. Yeah, it makes sense. You sometimes run into trouble if you have... uh, two or three parameters to it or two or three arguments to a method that are all the same type. So uh, you might have to switch to something like string one or string two or uh, something more descriptive of what this argument is for. Uh, But uh, in general, having type suggesting parameter names helps. Yeah. And at this point, we should mention that we have show notes for this podcast and people want to see some examples of what you're talking about. They can go and look at the show notes for this episode. Absolutely. I'm James T. Savage, and this is the Smalltalk Jobs Report. Hyderabad, Secunderabad, India. WePro Technologies is looking for a senior developer who has experience with Smalltalk, three to five overall years of experience, experience with Oracle, PLSQL, knowledge in the Unix OS, and knowledge of COBOL basics. It is considered a plus if you have good knowledge of natural. The job listed in this report is just one example of the small talk positions that are currently open across the world. For more details, read our shared blog at smalltalkjobs.com. Good luck with your job hunting. One other thing that I do is, in general, if I do cascading with semicolons, I put the messages onto separate lines. Uh, And that's just to break things up so that I can easily see the the flow of the cascade. Uh, Now, every once in a while, if I'm doing some, let's say, a builder pattern, I'll use indented cascading so that... uh, Every cascade message is on a separate line, but some lines are indented more than others. 
And that's one that if you have an automatic formatter, sometimes they'll throw away that knowledge of the indented cascade. Mm -hmm. After having said all this, many of these things uh, are things that you can take care of automatically with tools. So for instance, uh, let me take VisualWorks. There's a formatter in VisualWorks that will automatically format the method for you. So it'll automatically uh, decide what goes on one line, what goes on two lines, how the indentation works, everything. And it'll just arrange the method for you. And is it parameterizable too? So each developer can have a different set of preferences about how it works? It's changeable. I don't know about parameterizable so much. Uh, have you um, seen parameterizable ones? Yeah, well, there's a formatter called Shout that's in Squeak, for example, and something similar in Faro. And both of those, I think, let you have preferences about how it should show things to you. So you could imagine a team where each person has their own formatting preferences, and they always see code the way they like to see it. So there's less of a need for the team to agree on one common formatting standard. And indeed, how the stored code is actually formatted doesn't really matter so much. Um, but at the same time, if you're doing a lot of pairing or screen sharing, then this problem gets harder again. Right. So uh, the theory there is that everybody has their own way of seeing the code, even though they're, what's in the database, what's in the version control system, maybe one style, you'll see a different style when you bring it up because that's the style you prefer. Yeah, exactly. And this was sort of what made me think about Emacs uh, earlier. Uh, I've seen people put a lot of work into making formatters personalizable uh, just to dissolve any debate about how code should be formatted. Ah, that's a neat idea. Um, it's, it's something that uh, we don't tend to use ourselves because we don't have the tool for it. But uh, maybe that tool should be, uh, uh, well, maybe that kind of tool would be useful for us. Yeah. And of course, like most things, you can go overboard and put way too much time into it. But some amount of time, I think, is a good investment. So I'm going to ask you a question. And some, a pattern that I've seen often is for, uh, for do blocks, you know, something like uh, my collection do colon. Mm -hmm. And then the parameter name is called each. Uh, do you like using that approach? I, I sometimes use that. It, I find it works okay. Mm -hmm. uh, do you like each as a uh, parameter name to a do block? Uh, yeah, if I can't think of anything more intention revealing, then I think each is fine. The other thing is one letter variable names, which are usually frowned upon. But in some cases, it's really the most natural thing to use if what you're doing is some sort of mathematical thing that is represented by a one letter variable name. So inside a point, an X or a Y is perfectly acceptable. Yeah, again, there's some history there. I mean, traditionally, people have used really short variable names like that to indicate that the name of this thing doesn't really matter. Right. In fact, one thing I've seen um, is for arguments to a method or to a block, rather, that aren't actually used within the block, uh, the person would use uh, the uh, variable name underscore. So they'd just say block colon underscore vertical bar to mean I'm not going to use this variable within this block. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not sure what I think about that, but I've seen it and it, it sounds reasonable on the surface. Yeah, aesthetically, uh, I think I'm sort of against underscores. Uh, I, I view them as 
something that was originally invented for typographical emphasis, and that's really all it's good for. When I see, it's another, another symptom. When I see underscores, I think, oh, hmm, there's something kind of kludgy going on here. Yeah. In fact, uh, originally, underscores were not um, allowed inside method names. And uh, method names had to start with a lowercase character by, enforced by the compiler. Uh, that has changed in recent years um, so that those two uh, conventions are allowed. Uh, what it does allow is easier interfacing to, for instance, um, native, uh, native methods. If you're trying to call, uh, let's say, a Windows method from within Smalltalk and the Windows method happens to have underscores in it and starts with an uppercase, it might be best to use exactly that name so that uh, it will map properly to the underlying platform. Yeah, I think it's just good to keep in mind that our goal in all of this is to maximize readability. And what readability means for each person can be different. And things which seem like small little issues actually become significant when it's something that you're going to be looking at um, day after day for years. Um, for example, on some squeak systems I use, I use a font where I changed the glyph for uh, caret to be an up arrow like it used to be on the old uh, alto screens <laughs> just because I you know, find it more pleasing to look at and I've been looking at it for so long that it actually is a significant issue. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I remember those up arrows from the original Smalltalks. Uh, actually, in the original Smalltalk, a return was an actual up arrow and an assignment was an actual left arrow. Yeah, exactly. So I have fonts that do that. And of course, with the the carrot, you know, when I actually exchange code with people, you know, they use whatever glyph their font is showing them, so they don't care what I see. Right. Uh, a couple other things I'll mention. Um, one thing that really bugs me in Smalltalk code is seeing abbreviations. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's no there's no point putting index to mean index. I mean, for heaven's sake, spell it out, I-N-D-E-X. Yeah, it's annoying because you know the author knows better. Yes. Um, and even for things that are long, I'd rather read it than trying to figure out what this cryptic set of letters means. We don't have a restriction on the length of variable names. Uh, that was a, a hangover from other languages in the past. So, you know, don't abbreviate things. It just makes things hard. Yeah. If, if there is a standard sort of corporate-wide abbreviation for something uh, that everybody understands, then that's fine. But uh, if it's not a standard abbreviation, um, then you know, don't, don't bother using it. Just spell it out. Yeah, one of the first points of readability is to take advantage of any shared knowledge that you know everyone has. And, and again, this is an example of a seemingly little thing which is actually significant. If you're increasing the cognitive load on your reader, um, even if they're just spending you know, less than a second each time you make them stumble, it adds up. Yeah, it slows down your reading comprehension of the code, which makes it much more difficult to deal with. Uh, you should be trying to speed up um, the reading of the code. So uh, uh, doing things like abbreviations, doing things that are unexpected like capital first letters of methods. Mm -hmm. If a method starts with a capital letter, 
I'm always thrown. I'm looking at it. What is this? Is this a global variable? No, it's a method. Right. So it, it breaks my intuitions. Uh, and I find a lot of programming is a matter of um, uh, not breaking the intuitions of the person reading the method. Uh, usually we have ideas built up on how things are supposed to work. And if you break that, that um, assumption, then it's slower and harder to read the code. Yeah, you, want, you definitely want to obey the principle of least surprise. I love that principle. That's, uh, that's one I heard from uh, Alan Knight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, you, you don't want to surprise people. You want it to work the way people would expect it to work. Right, or at least as much as possible. I mean, occasionally you'll be dazzling them with some great new insight, but hopefully it will actually be a great new insight that has value. Hopefully that great new insight is one that makes it easier to read. Yeah, exactly. So in the end, I think we can, uh, I think we can come to the conclusion that uh, if your tools do the basic formatting for you, you don't have to worry about indentation and spacing so much. And uh, for other things, you should try and make things so that people can read the methods quickly and understand them quickly. Yeah, the machines can do a lot of the busy work for you, so you can spend more time thinking about the stuff that really matters. And the stuff that really matters is making the code work, first of all. But secondly, in order to make the code work, you have to understand it. Yeah, exactly. After a while, there's a strong correlation there. (laughs) Yes. And eventually... not only have you maximized readability, you've maximized trust between all the members of your team. You know, um, when I when I first started uh, teaching Smalltalk, I had to explain to people uh, how some of these things work and why we do it this way. And I, I had to do some deep thinking about object-oriented programming in general and what we're doing and what the problems are. And I came up with one thought of, I'll just mention it, is that the whole, uh, the whole point of object-oriented programming is to make software development easier. Uh, everything that we do boils down to making it easier. Mm-hmm. And in fact, uh, making it possible to read code, easy to read code, makes Smalltalk development or software development easier. Uh, polymorphism means you can treat things the same way. Uh, encapsulation means you don't have to worry about things, which makes it easier. Uh, nothing about object-oriented programming is about performance, per se, or any other concerns, security, or anything like that. But once you have ease of programming, then the other things become easy to do. Right. So, anyways, I think that's enough for today. Thank you very much, Craig. Thank you. Okay, so you can contact us at smalltalkreflections at thiscontext.com. You can tweet me with at buckdk. And you can tweet to me at c-c-r-r-a-a-i-i-g-g. You can visit our blog at smalltalkreflections.blogspot.ca and leave a comment there. And you can post a review on iTunes. Very glad I performed the music and edited the podcast. Okay, we'll see you next week. See you next week.